James chapter 4, we've begun this chapter, and here James starts with this question, from whence come wars and fightings among you? Where do strifes come from? And we looked at this in the last week, a couple of weeks ago. From whence come wars and fightings among you? <clears throat> Does it come because of your environment, because of the external pressures that come upon you? No. If we're going to be honest about it, we have to look within ourselves. What comes from within man? What did Jesus say was in the heart of man? All kinds of evil. These things proceed out of the heart of man because man is sinful. Okay? We are born with a sin nature. A sin nature which really um, causes us to focus on our own selves, no one else, just our own way. It's like Isaiah said, all we like sheep have gone astray. We have turned everyone to his own way. We all want our own way. Um, what do children have to be trained to um, avoid, or at least to suppress, is their own way, their own will. And there are some adults that uh, were never trained as children. It's quite obvious in the way they live. They are totally self-centered, self-centered. And here, James says, Do not these wars and fightings come hence, even of your lusts at war in your members? Verse 2, You lust and have not, so you kill. You desire to have, you cannot obtain. You fight and war, yet you have not, because you ask not. And then he goes on and says, But you ask and receive not, because ye ask amiss, that ye may consume it upon your lusts. I think this is about where we left off last time. A lot of um, people think, well, you know, I've asked the Lord. I've prayed about this, but he hasn't answered my prayer. Or, you know, I, I want this, and so I prayed about it. Why doesn't the Lord just give it to me? I mean, there's plenty of promises in Scripture. You know, Jesus says, you know, ask of me what you will. And when he tells the disciples, you know, you ask, and I'll answer your prayers. I'll give it to you. And he says, well, I ask and I'm not receiving. And James says here, you ask and receive not because you are asking wrongly or you ask amiss that ye may consume it upon your lusts. And that is really talking about misdirected prayer or prayer with wrong motives. A person who is praying for something to consume it upon their lust." What that means in common English means they're asking God to fulfill the lusts of their flesh. Okay? They're simply asking God for the things that their flesh desires, expecting God to answer those prayers. And remember what the Bible says about the flesh. It is at war with God. It is completely at enmity with God. So the things that the flesh desires, will they be according to the will of God? No. The things that the flesh desires are going to be for the fulfillment of self and for the fulfillment of our own sinful lusts. And so he says, you ask wrongly. You have unanswered prayer because you are asking amiss. You ask from your fleshly, hedonistic, or self-serving desires. And why does that happen? Why do we do that? Well, look at verse 4. He really comes down hard here with this accusation. If we are praying 
and asking God for things just to fulfill the lust of our flesh, what are we? He says, ye adulterers and adulteresses. Wow, those are some strong terms. Ye adulterers and adulteresses, know ye not that the friendship of the world is enmity with God? Whosoever therefore will be a friend of the world is the enemy of God. That's a strong verse. And of course, when he's talking about this adultery, he is talking about spiritual adultery. Spiritual adultery. Adulterers and adulteresses. Men and women alike. If we're praying this way, and our, our hearts are set on the things of this world, on the desires of our flesh, then we are, what we're doing is we're actually committing spiritual adultery. How is that? Well... He explains it. Friendship of the world with the world is enmity with God. Friendship with the world is enmity with God. What does it mean to have friendship with the world? Does that, does that just mean to be nice to your neighbors? Should you have any friends that are unsaved? Or should you not have any friends that are unsaved? Okay. Friendship with the world. Friendship with the world really means you've joined hand in hand with the philosophy of the culture, with the philosophy of the world in which you live, the culture of the age. What did Paul say? Yes? I just defined it in this context. In this context, what is a friend? And if you go back to in Corinthians where Paul talks about being separate from the world, chapter 6, 2 Corinthians, be not unequally yoked together with unbelievers. What fellowship hath righteousness with unrighteousness? What communion hath light with darkness? What concord hath Christ with Belial? Or what part hath he that believeth with an infidel? What agreement hath the temple of God with idols? Okay. What, what communion is there? What fellowship is there? Okay. But who is your neighbor? Okay. What does it mean to be a friend of the world? To be a friend of the world really means to be hand in hand and in agreement with the philosophy of the world. Okay, with the values of the culture. And if you <clears throat> if you adopt, if you adopt the values of this world, then you set yourself at enmity with God. What are the values of this world? What are the values of this world? Can we use the verse that it says they will call the good evil and the evil good? Can we use that? That shows a contrast. What are the values of this world in principle? Okay. All right. The values of this world. You think about the world and its philosophy. All its philosophy and everything that it does leaves one thing out. God. What does Romans tell us? The world does not like to retain God in their thoughts. You ever talk to somebody about God? 
that's not a believer, how far does your conversation get? <laughs> you can talk about the weather. You can talk about sports. You can talk about anything of this world. But as soon as you turn that conversation to spiritual things and you start talking about God, what happens? It becomes either a one-sided conversation because they don't know what you're talking about or they turn you off or leave. Why? The world does not like to retain God in their knowledge. They do not like to think about God. Now, if you start off with that premise, what is your life going to look like? What are your values going to look like? What's your character going to look like? Okay, this is the problem with the world. The world has discarded God. They've set God aside. God is not in their thoughts at all, the Bible says. And so when you take God out of the equation, you can never come up with the right answer. Just think about it logically. If you take God out of the equation, and you work and you get yourself an answer on the other side, will it ever be right? No, it will always be wrong. And the thing is, if, if, if we as believers are looking for the answers using the world's mathematical formulas and agreeing with their answers, we'll always be wrong. In fact, not only just wrong, we will set ourselves in opposition to God. We will be the enemies of God. Enmity. Enmity. Whosoever is the friend of the world is the enemy of God. You see, the God, God and the world are headed in opposite directions. God and the world have opposing values, opposing views. And so here, again, the warning to believers. He starts at the beginning of the chapter. You've got these conflicts. Where do you think they're coming from? They're not coming from outside. They're coming from the problems you've got within your own heart. You're covetous. You're wanting more. You're not satisfied with what God has provided, and so you want more. You lust. Even people, are, you know, you kill just to get what you're after. You desire to have, but you can't obtain. You ever feel like you're spinning your wheels, not getting anywhere, trying to grab that carrot and realizing that it's just out of reach? Always. You know, oh, if I could just do that, I'll get it here. I'll just, you know, who's holding the carrot? God. He's not going to let you get it. Because God says you can't get the carrot that way. Okay? You, you can try all you want. But here you are seeking that which the world offers. You're a friend of the world. You've adopted the world's philosophy. You've adopted the world's philosophy in your finances, in your work, in your child rearing, or in your, you know, in everything you do. You've adopted that which the world is presenting as truth. But it's false. And therefore, you are a spiritual adulterer. God says, you are my bride. And yet you're chasing the devil. That's, that doesn't work out very well. Here you are being a friend of the world. If you're a friend of the world, you are the enemy of God. What is, what is spiritual adultery? Really, it comes down to idolatry. It's idolatry. Remember what... Bible speaks about covetousness and it says it is idolatry. It's that attitude that says, God, you're not enough. God, I, I'm not content with you. If you're not content with God, then you're not looking at him. 
You're looking at the things of the world. And so he addresses them as adulterers and adulteresses, those who have friendship with the world. And again, when we're talking about the friendship of the world, we're talking about adopting and agreeing with the world's philosophy, the world's values. We're not talking about being kind to your neighbor or inviting your unsaved neighbor over to eat at your house so you can have an opportunity to give them the gospel. That's not friendship of the world. Okay, That's called being a neighbor. And you're supposed to love your neighbor as yourself. Now, let's, let's, let's move on here. Idolatry really is infidelity. It is unfaithfulness to God. And that's why they're called adulterers and adulteresses. Now, <clears throat> in Romans chapter 7, in verse 4, Paul says here, Wherefore, my brethren, ye also are become dead to the law by the body of Christ, that you should be married to another, even to him who is raised from the dead, that we should bring forth fruit unto God. If you're a believer, then your relationship to the world has been terminated. You are in a new relationship with Jesus Christ. And if you're in a relationship with Jesus Christ, then you should not be looking back at the world. Remember Lot's wife? What happened? She was miraculously delivered from Sodom. And the angels told Lot and his wife and his two daughters, flee to the mountains, do not look back. And they took off running. And what did Lot's wife do? She looked back. And what did looking back indicate? Hey, that's all my stuff's back there. That's everything I lived for. That's my, that's my home. Her looking back wasn't that, oh, I've dropped something, you know. No, she was told not look back, go, get out. She turned back and immediately became a pillar of salt. She was destroyed. Where was her heart? Heart. It was in Sodom. Now, those who desire friendship with the world set themselves in opposition to God. Now, I want you to note the next verse. Verse 5. Do ye think that the Scripture saith in vain the spirit that dwelleth in us lusteth to envy? Do you think that the Scripture saith in vain, the Spirit that dwelleth in us lusteth to envy? James is quoting a passage of Scripture. What's he quoting? Well, do you know the Scripture? Verse 5. I'm getting a bunch of blank stares. I know we're not there yet in Galatians, but hold your finger in James. Let's go back to Galatians. Galatians chapter 5. <clears throat> the spirit that dwelleth in us lusteth to envy. Let me ask you a question. What is the spirit that dwell, dwells in us? Okay, if it's us and he's speaking to believers, he is referring to the Holy Spirit. Where does the Holy Spirit live? Where does he dwell? Okay, 
What? Know you not that your body is the dwelling place or the temple of God? The Spirit dwells within the body of believers. Galatians chapter 5 and verse 16. This I say then, walk in the Spirit. What does it mean to walk in the Spirit? That means allow the Holy Spirit to direct your steps. Walk with Him. Walk in obedience to the leading of the Holy Spirit. This I say then, walk in the Spirit, and ye shall not fulfill the lust of the flesh. Remember, he's talking to believers. Believers don't lose their flesh. You still have the flesh that you had before you were saved. But what you have that you didn't have is the Holy Spirit and the power to have victory over the flesh. Walk in the Spirit, and ye shall not fulfill the lust of the flesh. Did you ever have this thought as a child? I remember when I was a kid. <clears throat> Make sure your eyes are open. I had this thought as a kid. I thought, you know, I get in trouble at school or something. I thought, you know, if my dad was just right next to me, I would never do those things, or I wouldn't do this, or I wouldn't do that. Think about that. Think about if you were a kid, and your dad never left your side. There's probably a lot of things you wouldn't have gotten into, or your mom, or... I'm assuming that your mom and dad wanted the right things for you. Okay. Uh, now, but you thought, man, if they were right by my side holding my hand, I, I would never have done that. Well, this is what he's talking about. In a spiritual realm, walk realizing that the Holy Spirit is within you. Let him be your guide. He's holding your hand. Okay. You say, well, you know, if, if Jesus was with me, I'd always have victory over sin because he'd be right next to me. And of course, I wouldn't go over there or I wouldn't do that or, man, I'd have the right attitude because pff, there he is. You know, what am I going to do? Blow my fuse with Jesus standing right next to me? Um, well, then what you're doing is you're a practical atheist. You're an atheist in practice. In other words, you're denying the presence of God if you're a believer and you're walking in the flesh. A believer who walks in the flesh denies the presence of God. A believer who's walking in the flesh is acting as if the presence of the Lord wasn't with him. Walk in the Spirit and you will not what? You'll not fulfill the desires of the flesh. You can't if you're walking in the Spirit. And this is what we're all supposed to be doing. How often? On Sundays? On No, on every day that ends with Y. Yes. Okay, we're to be walking in the Spirit all the time. And when we don't, it is by deliberate choice. You remember that. We are responsible. We do not, oh, oops, <laughs> wasn't walking in the Spirit. What was I thinking? No, we do it by choice. If we're honest with ourselves, we do it by choice. But he says here in Galatians 5.16, This I say then, walk in the Spirit, and ye shall not fulfill the lust of the flesh. And note verse 17, For the flesh lusteth against the Spirit, and the Spirit against the flesh. What did James say? Know you not that the Spirit which is in us lusteth to envy? You say, oh, lust, that's a bad sin. How could the Holy Spirit sin? Well, what does the word lust mean? It means strong desires. It just means strong desires. Now, the context will tell you whether it's a sinful lust or a right lust. Okay? 
When you are walking through the desert in 113 degree heat, you know, you're walking through the desert after about, you know, so many minutes, your, your body is going to be lusting for water, really strongly desiring. Now, listen, I know in our, in our modern use of language, when we hear the word lust, we automatically think of sexual sin or we think of some type of immoral type activity. But lust simply means strong desire. And so here in Galatians 5.17, the flesh has strong desires against or opposed to the Spirit of God. What does the flesh want to do? Fulfill the desires of self. But what does the Spirit want to do? What does the Holy Spirit want us to do? Deny self. Mortify self. Walk in obedience to Christ. Yield our members as members of righteousness unto God. Do that which is pleasing to Him. That's what the Holy Spirit wants. And boy, does He want that? Yes, He wants that very much. It's a strong desire of the Holy Spirit. So the flesh lusts against the Spirit, but the Spirit is also lusting against the flesh, and they're contrary the one to the other. They're in opposite directions. The flesh is pushing one way, and the Spirit is trying to lead in the opposite way. This is the struggle of every believer. High five. The Word of God, right? What? The Word of God that it splits you right down the middle. Right? Because you have to obey the Word of God. That's letting the Holy Spirit, you're obeying the Word of God. You know, I think that for any uh, level of believer, sometimes, and I'm talking about myself, that, oh, I'm obeying the Spirit of God. The Spirit of God is guiding me. But what does that mean? You're obeying the Word of God. It's clear. It cuts you. Right down the middle, because your flesh wants to battle against the spirit. Right, the spirit. The spirit never leads us up in contradiction to the word of God. So here, the flesh lusts against the spirit, the spirit against the flesh, and they're contrary the one to the other. And the rest of this verse says, "So that ye cannot do the things that ye would." That's an interesting phrase. So you cannot do the things that you would. Well. Verse 18, but if you be led of the Spirit, you're not under the law. You cannot do the things that you would. If you want to just throw off restraint and fulfill the lust of the flesh and just live like the world and you're a believer, now, I'm using this as, a, as an example, what does the Holy Spirit do? The Holy Spirit just sit back and says, fine, okay, have at it. No, what does He do? He's going to trouble you. You will be troubled. You're going to be miserable. You're just going to be in all kinds of conflict. Ah, but what if you, as a believer, think, you know, I want to glorify God. I'm going to do what's right. I'm going to follow the leading of the Spirit. What's going to happen? Do you think your flesh is going to sit back and say, "Eh, well, I guess we lost. Please the Lord, have at it, I guess, you know. (laughs) No, what does the flesh do? Ah, you know, yeah, no, it's it's attacking. It's, It's going to be stronger than ever. See, what does the devil want you to do? He wants you to be lukewarm. Ah. Yeah, I'll I'll be a Christian on Sundays, and, you know, I'm at church, or when I'm hanging around other people, but, you know, the rest of the time in my own home, I'm just going to be me. Just going to, you know, let my hair down. I'm walking the flesh. Okay? Now, sorry, as a believer, you're going to have conflict. But there's victory promised for those who walk in the Spirit. 
Walk in the Spirit, you'll not fulfill the lust of the flesh. But it will be a struggle. But greater is it he that is in you than he that is in the world. Back to James chapter 4. Do ye think that the Scripture saith in vain, the Spirit that dwelleth in us lusteth to envy? No, it's not in vain. We need to understand what the Scripture is saying. Now, these, these verses indicate a few things. Number one, the conflict that we face in our lives comes from within. In our prayer life, how do we pray? Are we praying for the lusts of our flesh to be fulfilled and ex expecting God to be the facilitator of our flesh? Well, don't ever expect any answers to prayer because God is not going to do that. If you are desiring to live according to the flesh, if you are adopting and agree in an agreement with the culture and the philosophy of the world around you, you, as a believer, are committing spiritual adultery. And you need to consider the significance of that because you are setting yourself in opposition to God. Whosoever is a friend of the world is the enemy of God. But what's great about this is, if you're truly a believer, you have the indwelling Holy Spirit. And the indwelling Holy Spirit, the Bible says, greater is He that is in you than he that is in the world. Let me ask you a question. Who is stronger, the flesh or the Spirit of God? Is he? Do you believe that? Okay. Well, if this is true, by the way, it is true. I'm just using this as an illustration. If the Spirit of God is greater than our flesh, then why don't we always walk in the Spirit? Well, wait a minute. You just, but you're saying the flesh is bigger than the Spirit of God because our flesh. What? He overcomes the Spirit of God? Who is greater? God is greater. Feeding the flesh and not the Spirit. Because you also have to realize, like, God wanted to stop you from it, he could, right? So there's an allowance. You mean, you mean God could make you a robot? He but he has chosen not to. Well, then by disobedience, you're bringing on the habit of consequences. Okay, I throw this out here not because I'm expecting a well-thought-through correct answer from you. Not that there's not a correct answer, but it's something I want you to think about because I didn't give you this question to ponder before you came. Okay. If he that is in you is greater than he that is in the world, now who's the prince of the, you know, who's the God of this world? The devil. If God is greater than the devil, and we know that he is, okay, well, certainly then, God, the indwelling Holy Spirit of God, is greater 
than our flesh. Though he may be greater than our flesh, why doesn't he always beat the flesh? So, we, so let's continue in sin that grace may abound. No. Okay. No. Okay, hang on. Hang on. So why do we walk in the flesh? Okay. Now, well, this is what we're talking about. Okay. So he says, Romans chapter 8. What are we, what are we supposed to do with the flesh? Mortify it. Okay, remember this. There is no failure on the part of the Holy Spirit. And he does not come and grip your arm, twist it around your back, and put you in a full Nelson or a whatever and make you do what he's saying. In fact, how is the Spirit described in his relationship and his communication to us in Scripture? How, would you, how is it described? A still, small voice. What happens to kids who um, have a habit of disobedience. And mom tells them to do something and they don't do it. Mom comes back later. Hey, did you do what I told you to do? And what do they say? Oh, I, I forgot. Oh, yeah. Yeah, you said that. Right. I forgot. <laughs> I forgot. Okay. I forgot. Well, see, the thing is, the Holy Spirit doesn't come down, scream in your face, slap you upside the head, and body slam you and say, you know, you were going to do this. No, what did he do? He's a still, small voice. And what happens when you quench? Who is that? <laughs> is that you? No. No. Okay. <laughs> let's, let's quench that phone. That's the, <laughs> I forgot. Okay. Anyway, okay. So, now... Now, now, I want you to think, though. Okay, listen. The Holy Spirit is a still, small voice. Do you know how easy it is for a mother to tune out her children? Now, mothers, you know exactly what I'm talking about. Men, you go to work. No, they don't realize that because they come home and hear kids screaming. Like, Get that. You know, fix that problem. Why aren't you? Yeah, uh, you know, what's going on here? And the wife is just, you know, doing her thing. She has to listen to it all day, and there has to be a level of, you know, distance there. She tunes out some of it just to survive, right? Okay. <laughs> Kind of speak a little facetiously, but what happens to the believer? If we're not sensitive to the leading of the Holy Spirit, what do we do? We don't hear it. Does that mean he didn't speak? No. Man, I just sinned and I wasn't even... I wasn't even thinking. I wasn't even warned. Yeah, you were warned, but you didn't listen. And in fact, you've got to the point where you don't hear him anymore because you're quenching the Spirit and you become what? Calloused. Calloused. And so what happens? Is the Spirit greater than our flesh? Absolutely. But if we have a habit of walking in the flesh, if we have a, habit, have a habit of fulfilling the desires of our flesh, what are we doing? We're quenching the spirit. We're not listening. We are becoming desensitized to his voice. And that's the problem. That's the problem. It's not, listen, I know he's cute, but you look at me. Put him back on the floor. Okay. Hang on to that guy. All right. <clears throat> I forgot. His, the flesh is strong in that one. Okay. Hang on to it. All right. So, and we, uh, so verse 5, Do you think that the Scripture saith in vain, the Spirit dwelleth, that dwelleth in us lusteth to envy? Now, we'll continue next week with this, but I want you to be thinking about this. 
the Holy Spirit, he has desires. He wants us to obey. He wants us to yield to him. And he is speaking. But are we listening? Oh, let me tell you something. The flesh has a different technique. The flesh will come and grab you by the throat. It will scream in your face. It will throw you down and beat you up and say, give me what I want and give it to me now. See, that's the flesh. That's not the way the Holy Spirit acts. But that's the way the, that's the, way the flesh comes after you. I mean, it is all, all consuming. It wants what it wants and it wants it now. But you already know that. So the thing is, if you're going to walk in the Spirit, you better be sensitive to the Spirit, which means you need to listen to Him. And the more we listen to Him, the more accustomed we are to hearing His voice. The more accustomed we are to hearing His voice, we'll know what to do, and we'll do the right thing. But if we become desensitized to the Spirit through repeated disobedience or just yielding to the loud, obnoxious flesh, what do we do? We grieve the Spirit of God. We quench Him. And there is a great warning. Do not do that. Do not do that. Walk in the Spirit. You'll not fulfill the lust of the flesh. All right, well, we're going to draw this to a close here. We'll continue next week. Any? I wanted to say, I, I love this uh, Hebrews 4.12. For the, word is, for the Word of God is quick and powerful and sharper than the two-edged sword, piercing even, dividing the sun of the soul and spirit, and the joints and marrow. Right. Right. And the Holy Spirit does. He he brings us face to face with the Word of God. And the Holy Spirit is never going to tell you to do something that's not written, that is not in the Word of God. Right. The Holy Spirit leads us according to the Word of God. What did the Bible? What did Jesus say to his disciples that the Comforter would do? Would bring things to your remembrance whatsoever I have said unto you. He'd bring them back to. The Word of God. Well, let's pray, and then we'll take a break. Father, we thank you for this passage here before us, and Lord, the importance of walking in the Spirit. Lord, help us to recognize that it's easy for us to just listen to the loud, obnoxious demands of the flesh. But may we be sensitive to the leading of the Spirit. Lord, may we be obedient. We ask this in Jesus' name. Amen.